And now we're back. Uh, yeah, we're back and better. Not not really, because we. this is the third time we've tried to record something and we're just having issues. So we're coming to you from Clean Feed um, because of COVID. And COVID has kind of struck my family, not me or Savannah or my husband or the baby, but my parents. So we're having to record virtually for the next little bit. And we apologize for not putting out recordings before now, but we have been dealing with some stuff, mental health, and I had something bad happen at my job, so we're just kind of recovering from all that. But welcome to the podcast, All Things Wicked and Vile. We're your hosts, Victoria and... I'm Savannah, or Sav. However you want to refer to us, we don't we don't fucking care. So this is our third attempt at recording. It's weird. It is. It's weird saying like our full names because originally we said we weren't going to do that. <laughs> well, I don't fucking care anymore. You know, it's fine. You people only know us through our voices. That's. You know what? If they stalk us, then let them. I need something interesting to happen to me. <coughs> Please don't stalk us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, I don't care. Okay, let me make sure this is actually recording. So, hopefully the audio quality doesn't sound too terribly bad. We apologize for it, but since we can't record in person right now due to COVID, we're just kind of winging it. Um, I'm hoping that my battery on my laptop will last the whole time because my charging cord is in the other room. So, let's hope and pray. Alright, so we're going to talk about... We're going to be talking about Jerry Underwood. Um, I got my sources from AP News, uh, Medium.com, KSL.com, and Murderpedia, obviously. I'm going to be trying to do some more definite research for you guys that doesn't include Murderpedia as much, but Murderpedia is such a wealth of information that I just, I don't want you guys to think I'm lazy when I'm doing this, but I really do try to, excuse me, find other um, articles to read to you guys. Okay, so, Jerry Underwood oh, was... Drink if we're recording. I'm sorry. What? I wasn't even thinking. I just took a drink and I feel like everybody heard me swallow. No, I didn't hear anything. You're good. I'm glad this this is not some ASMR. Yeah, I don't do ASMR. That kind of stresses me out. Uh, makes me like twitch. I know. Okay, so Jerry Underwood was a beautiful 11 year old girl um, from. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's That's a it's, it's a trigger warning. This is a child murder case. But I feel like it deserves, to, her name deserves to be said, her story deserves to be told. So trigger, trigger, trigger warning. If you don't like to hear stories about kids that are murdered, this may not be the episode for you. Um, but here's a quote about her from Medium. 11-year-old Jerry Underwood, a resident of Pocatello, East Idaho, was well adored by everyone who knew her. She stayed in the hospital quite some time after her birth. She was nurtured and protected by her parents. She was academically competent, a regular churchgoer, and at the age of 11, got her first job as a newspaper delivery girl. Friendly locals used to tip her as they liked her immensely. She was a member of the LDS Church, so as the Latter-day Saints, for those of you that don't know, so she was Mormon. I don't think her family was the weird kind of Mormon, so we're good on that. Her mother's name was Joyce Underwood and her father was Jeff Underwood. Her parents consider her the perfect child. Here's a quote that I got from the KSL website. Jeff and Joyce Underwood say their daughter, Jerry was the perfect child. She was kind, loving, smart, and a friend to everyone she met. She was a lot of fun, Jeff recalls. She was always fairly outgoing, and she always liked to include everybody on things. She was a little entrepreneur getting that first job as a newspaper delivery girl when she was just 11 years old. She was well-liked by all of her customers. 
She just seemed like the perfect little girl, and the pictures of her are just gorgeous. On June 29, 1993, Jerry Lee would go on her paper route for the very last time. Okay, so now we're going to talk about Dick Stain. Well, yeah, lots of technical difficulties. So now we're going to talk about Dick Stain James Wood, birth name John Goodwin, which is completely different to what, you know, his actual name was, was born on... December 9th, 1947. Not much is known about his father except that he was incarcerated in 1949. His mother, whose name was Hazel Goodwin, moved and remarried in the same year. They moved to Pocatello, Idaho, where Jerry Lee was from. It wasn't long for John when he started having some issues. At the age of six, you heard me right, six years old, he started having a real disdain for authority figures, namely police officers or law enforcement. When he was eight, his mother passed away in a deadly fire at her place of employment, which was a potato processing factory. I'm not sure where he went after that as far as who he stayed with, but it was shortly after that he started having violent sexual fantasies, which is really creepy to How be having at such a young age. Eight. Oh my gosh. Yeah, pure psychopath. His behavior was so bad that he had his first stint at youth corrections facility at the age of 14. He received some counseling up there, but it didn't seem to do much good. Because that same year, he stole a car and let some dumpsters on fire. It was also at this age that he was given to the state and placed in the custody of the state. They pretty much sent him to reform school because of his behavior. He was 17 when released. And the only reason why they released him was under the promise that he would live with his father in Louisiana. So basically get the fuck out of Idaho, which I can't say I blame the state. His father had a business of building chain fences, so he joined his dad in that venture. But that didn't even last for very long. During that same year, he had one escape from prison because he threatened a guard with a knife. He would go on to have seven attempts in his lifetime to escape, but this one was his only successful one. He kept going with the creepy shit. When he was 19, this is going to really trigger warning for animal murder, he fucking killed a colt, a baby horse, that was supposed to be a gift. Um, a horse? Yep, he fucking killed a colt. I don't hear about that one every day. You no. About, like, dogs and cats. cats and dogs. Yeah. A horse. That's so sad. A baby horse. Like, that That shook me. Um, when he was 20, he got married to his first wife. His Her name was Angie Bell, but even that didn't really last long. She would end up filing for divorce after a few months of finding out he had been in prison. LOL, run, girl, run. That was in my notes. Yeah. Then, when he was 22, that's when he committed his first rape. Real classy shit. No comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. And ended up rem- keep my mouth shut. <laughs> but then, get this, he remarried Angie, and they had another child together. They had the she had How one. Did you do that? I don't know. So they had the one child the first time they remarried. But Angie, my girl, she realized that this was shit and divorced him again after a few months. Good for you, Angie. Get run away Maybe from the shit don't stain. Marry him. Please don't. <laughs> okay. So in 1986, so he's only 39. We're, he's not even like halfway through his life yet. He was released from the Angola State Penitentiary. He then moved to Texas and started living with his half brother. But while in prison, plot twist, he discovered he was gay. So, I mean, that's all well and good and all that. Um, so he figured out he was gay, um, which is fine, but just, I, yeah. Maybe don't kill people or rape anyone. Yeah, yeah, he hasn't killed anybody yet, but we'll get there. He started up a relationship with a man, and his brother, his half-brother didn't really appreciate that. His new lover was named Jimmy Twiggs, and they met in prison. Basically a match made in heaven. Um, when James was 43, he cut off three of his fingers. 
That did get end up getting fixed, but his hand was never the same after that. And then, when he was 45, he robbed a fucking Pizza Hut. Like, what the fuck? A pizza Hut? Yes, I know. During what? this, I, I don't know. I don't know. A tea-chopping pizza? And just, and just get this. During the same year he robbed the Pizza Hut, he moved in with his cousin so he could quote-unquote get himself straightened out after robbing the Pizza Hut. The same year, he abducted and raped a 15-year-old. So his second rape that he picked up from the Pizza Hut parking lot. The same Pizza Hut parking lot. What the fuck is this guy's issue with Pizza Hut? I don't get it. Rape and Pizza Hut do not go together. Is he dead yet? I uh, don't know. I've, I forgot. We'll have to look. He should be. During the same... <laughs> throwing that out there. And then in 1993, he robbed a subway and then raped another young girl. This girl was his girlfriend's daughter. So this is third rape, second robbery, I think, and uh, and, and just like the long, the latest in a long slew of crimes. The limit does not exist with this dude. Mean Girls reference right there. I would just like to say that there is a special place in hell for him. Yes, there really is. Like he is literally a shit stain. Then he robbed a steakhouse. He must really like robbing restaurants. I really don't get it. And that same day that he robbed the steakhouse, he raped a woman. So I guess he just gets off on gets this high from robbing a restaurant because of the thrill of it. And then he's like, I'm just gonna go rape somebody now. I don't I just don't understand like why he would go and do that in the same day. He literally found her in Salt Lake City. I think she may have been hitchhiking because he found her on the side of the road. In all, James was convicted of killing one person, but he's believed to have killed many more. He is responsible for at least at least 85 rapes and 185 robberies. That's terrible. 85 rapes and was never caught until now. Uh, and it was June 29th, 1993 that James raped and dismembered young Jerry Underwood. She had gotten out to use the restroom on her paper route and he took her into the woods, shot her, and dismembered her. I'm going to read you a quote from Murderpedia. Jerry Underwood resided in Pocatello, Idaho with her family. On June 29, 1993, James Wood was visiting the home of a customer on Jerry's paper route when she came by to make a collection. Wood followed Jerry when she left, detained her with a false story, and forced her into the automobile. Wood held Jerry captive for over a day, during which time he sexually molested her, then shot her in the head with a 22 caliber pistol and hit her body by covering it with a brush. According to the findings of the district court, later, Wood returned to the site of the murder, undressed the corpse, mutilated the body by removing the sex organs and severing the arms, head, and legs. He threw the clothing and body parts into the Snake River. The body was later recovered with the exception of the right hand and right calf. I mean, this there is no limit to this monster an 11 year old girl and so he basically assaulted her then shot her then hit her body then went back took all her clothes off removed her sex organs and then cut off her arm head and legs yeah he needs he needs to die 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 bitch die middle fingers to hell if you are actually dead middle fingers just to you as a person and her he just threw it in the river he is literally a shit stain i can't say that enough um thankfully he was arrested on july 6 1993 which is very soon after she was actually after she actually passed away 
and he immediately confessed to the rape and murder of Jerry He also confessed to several other crimes. He was arraigned on July 7th, 1993. They were moving this process very quickly. He was also tried for several other crimes that were included in the trial for Jerry He was charged with 12 other felonies in addition to the rape and the dismemberment of Jerry Here's another quote from Murderpedia that I thought was very interesting. On August 9th, 1993, Whittier filed a motion to limit visitation, which was intended to restrict media contact with Wood, as he made statements to members of the press that were detrimental to his defense. The motion was granted an order issued providing that representatives of the media would only be allowed to phone or visit Wood with the prior approval of Whittier, which I guess was his lawyer. The sheriff refused to honor Whittier's request to move a telephone from Wood's cell to Wood refused to call members of the press despite Whittier's efforts to persuade him not to speak to the media. Apparently, he just couldn't stop talking and that was going to be used against him in court, as it should be. I think his lawyer should have just let it happen. <laughs> yep. At first, he entered a plea of not guilty, but soon changed it to guilty. Here's another quote from Murderpedia regarding the trial and other court proceedings. On September 13th or 14th, Whittier tape recorded a conversation he had with Wood concerning his plea. In that conversation, Wood indicated he wished to change his plea to guilty, but said he wanted to have a psychiatric examination completed in order to determine his competency to aid in his own defense before he pled guilty. During this conversation, Whittier told Wood that he represented to the court and prosecution that, that Wood was competent. So I'm like, he's like, bro, you're not going to get away with that. Following a recess at the September 14th hearing and prior to the completion of the psychiatric evaluation, Wood returned to the court, withdrew his prior pleas of not guilty and guilty pleas to one count of first-degree murder, one count of first-degree kidnapping, and two counts of rape. The remaining charges were dismissed without prejudice, which I don't agree with. The district court accepted the guilty pleas. The court ordered a present presentence investigation a ps a pre-sentence investigation for a psi in order that the report of defense's psychiatric expert dr vicar gregory be included in the psi whittier did not object a sentencing hearing was held on december 7th 1993 during which whittier presented no mitigating evidence but dr gregory testified in aggravation for the prosecution good for you girl on january 13 1994 the court issued its decision on the defense's objection to the information in the pre-sentence report which did not include an objection to the admission of dr gregory's report on January 14, 1994, the district court issued its findings concerning consideration of the death penalty and sentenced Wood to death for the murder of Jerry Lee. The court also imposed consecutive terms of fixed life on each of the kidnapping and rapes to which Wood had pled guilty. On January 16, 1994, Whittier appealed the sentence of death. He attempted to appeal the death sentence unconstitutional, but that was very quickly shot down. And I don't know if I mentioned this before, but James was also a member of the Latter-day Saints. He was a fucking Mormon. And here is an article I found from AP News that I just found very interesting. James Edward Wood is on death row for the murder of an 11-year-old girl. Like Wood, this girl was a Mormon. So was Wood's public defender, some of the public defender's law partners, and even the judge. The lawyers not handling Wood's appeal argue that those involved in this case placed loyalty to the church above his rights. They contend Wood is the victim of a belief in a blood atonement for the mostly Mormon re- in the mostly Mormon region. Wood, who was never active in the church and was excommunicated after his arrest, Thank God, LDS Church, props to you for excommunicating this bastard. Confessed to abducting Jerry Lee Underwood in 1993 while she collected money from customers on a newspaper route in Pocatello, a city of 46,000. The career criminal with convictions for robbery, rape, and murder shot the girl to death the day after luring into the day after luring her into his car. He sexually violated the body a week later. So, I mean, already we have abuse of a corpse as well. Then cut it up and dumped it in the Snake River. Wood, 46, pleaded guilty and was sentenced to death in January by District Judge Lynn Windmill. Soon after, Wood asked that all of his appeals be dropped, but later changed his mind. 
At a hearing last week, Windmill heard hours of testament about more and beliefs on forgiveness of sin and whether a member of the church can disagree with church edicts without risking censure. The hearing resumes Thursday. Rolf Keene and Wood's other lawyers accused Bannock County Public Defender Monty Whittier of excessive deference to church authority and lack of commitment to a client hated in Pocatello. Sincerely held beliefs by a lawyer can sometimes conflict with his duty to his client, Kenny said. Whittier denied that he believes in blood atonement, the shedding of blood in exchange for the forgiveness of sins, or that he had any other conflicts that should have disqualified him from the case. One of his law partners, Brian Murray, is a Mormon who is close to the Underwood family, and two all others are also Mormon. James Wood did not want the preliminary hearing. He did not want to go to court. He did not want to face the Underwoods, Whittier said. You have to remember, I had a very uncooperative client, which I'm not surprised. Wood's lawyers argued that Whittier failed to work toward a plea bargain to keep Wood from getting the death penalty. He gave away his client's life as a practical matter which, when he pled him guilty with no deal on sentencing. Which I found very interesting, honestly, because usually when they try to take a plea deal, they will try to take the death penalty off the table. But his lawyer didn't argue for that. And um, John or he or James Wood did not ask for it either. So I think that maybe since he didn't suggest it, you know, Whittier wasn't going to promote it. Which, honestly, it makes me think that maybe this article is correct in saying that maybe he let his faith kind of get in the way of representing his client to the fullest extent that he was supposed to. But I completely understand the sentiment, Monty Whittier. Like, you're a good dude in my book. Like, he should have been sentenced to death for this. Um, was he not? He was, yes. And then got life sentences on the other kidnapping charges. Um testified David Nevin, one of Idaho's most experienced defense attorneys in murder cases. I know Monty Whittier and he thinks he's a good man, but in this case, I think he yielded to the pressure and he gave up. Wood's lawyers focused on a jailhouse meeting a week before he was sentenced. The public defender took his Mormon law partner, Thomas Clark and Kurt Howard, president of the group of Mormon congregations, called it a stake that included the Underwoods congregation to the meeting. Howard taped the meeting and Kenny obtained a transcript. Clark, do you believe that murder can be forgiven? Would. I do. Not through any works of my own, but through Jesus, Christ Jesus. Not through our acts, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Howard, so you don't believe a person needs to give his own blood to be forgiven, as it says in the scriptures? Would. I know my sins are forgiven through God's grace. Clark, you don't believe you need to shed your own blood to make restitution for Geraldine? Keen did not, Kenny did not release Wood's response to the last question. Whittier is present at the meeting, but isn't heard on the tapes. Although the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints disavows blood atonement, Wood's lawyer said the jailhouse meeting was intended to convince Wood that his spiritual salvation depended on giving up his life in restitution for Geraldine's. Whittier thought he was doing Mr. Wood a favor by getting him the death penalty, Kenny said. So I guess the Latter-day Saints believe in the blood atonement. Um... So, like, you can't, like, they were basically saying that you can't be saved in the Mormon church if you don't give up your life because you took Jerry's. This is what I'm kind of getting from this, which I found it extremely interesting. That's why I included this article. Woods lawyers have not accused the judge of bias, though they note that he and Jerry's father had church position that brought them together while the judge was considering Woods' sentence. Jerry's parents, Jeff and Joyce Underwood, said Woods lawyers are playing on prejudice against Mormonism. Whether we're all members of the Elks Lodge or the Catholic religion or the LDS religion, LDS religion. In this case, we've always kept that separate, Underwood said. And here's an article, part of an article from the Medium website. A week after her abduction, James Edward Wood, 45, was taken to custody on account of aggravated kidnapping. A little prompting later, he led investigators to the Snake River near Idaho Falls. He told investigators a horrific story of Jerry Lee. He had been eating dinner with his cousin, so he's literally at his cousin's house. He was on the paper delivery route that Jerry Lee took when Jerry Lee came around to collect her payment. He told her that the check was faulty, and he asked her to return it to him for cash. He, he waited till she was rummaging in her bag, distracted for shoving her into his car, driving away. I just have to say, before I continue, why did the cousin not do anything? I oh, know. The cousin is just as guilty in this. He didn't do anything. 
but he told his cousin, who's going out to buy alcohol, who drove a long distance avoiding stops at checkpoints. He told the police that Jerry had asked him why he had kidnapped her, which is, and they talked about the Mormon faith that they had shared. This little girl was a saint. And it breaks my heart because she literally was talking about how they're both Mormon and she was trying to like humanize herself to this monster. And she was asking him why he had kidnapped her. Like, I just can't. That's so heartbreaking. It really is. And she was 11. That's the youngest that he had ever raped that I, that I know of. The nauseating details of what he did to her shocked everyone. He killed Jerry by shooting her when she knelt near the river for bathroom break. He shot her initially, leaving her body hidden beneath some bushes. Wood returned to the, a week later to sexually exploit the corpse, remove the genitals, and dismember the body into little pieces, then scatter the remains into the water. Morticians worked through the night to recover what they could, the little girl's remains from the river. Her parents could not see the body when she was laid to rest, which is so heartbreaking. That is so sad. I know. This case really just gets to me. Jerry's tragic death told investigators that Woods was by no means a one-time criminal. He had left a trail of crime in six states with a dozen murders, so he had been had murders before this, three of which occurred in Louisiana, robberies, and up to seven sexual assaults, which we know that he is responsible for these 85 rapes. Wood tried very hard to get away with a less serious sentence for, this hor- for his horrific crimes. Since East Idaho is predominantly Mormon, the public defender allotted to it and the judge who dealt with the case were both Mormon. In an appeal filed by the criminal, it was alleged that he was the victim of beliefs like blood atonement, the practice of the defender and the judge, or both influenced by the Mormon faith. This claim of victimhood was laughable because Wood was never active in the church and at this point had been excommunicated by the Latter-day Saints for his murder charge. Wood would also go through changes of heart very often in his case and use his religious beliefs to try to appear innocent. He reportedly said that Jesus would forgive him for his sins. I'm just like, uh, maybe not. Okay, so. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Basically, this guy said that he, that Jesus was going to forgive him for his sins. Well, that's what he does, but. I don't really know if he really was believing in Jesus. I think he's in hell, to be honest with you. I hope he is. (laughs) I'm going to find out after this. Um. District Judge Lynn Windmill used a few words to describe the murder, calling him a cold-blooded, pitiless slayer. Accurate. He also expressed the belief that if had Wood not been caught, he would have continued on his spree of crime. Wood pleaded guilty to all charges reportedly saying, the wages are sin, the wages of sin are death. I just want to punch him in the throat. He was given the death penalty soon after. He asked for all appeals to be dropped. He later revoked that decision, and a debacle ensued whereby courts had to listen to hours of testimony about the Mormon faith and its motivations thereby. Lawyers assigned to Wood's case would accuse the previous public defender of deferring from his role as a lawyer to prioritize church teachings and letting his hatred of Wood influence the case. Whittier denied these claims and his profession remained separate from his faith and that he had no conflict of interest in defending a Mormon murderer who had killed a Mormon girl, calling Wood a, quote, uncooperative client, which we talked about earlier. The parents of Jerry Lee, Jeff and Joyce, publicly spoke out against what they had presumed negative stereotypes and prejudices against their faith, and asked that legal proceedings be kept separate from religion, which they should be. Legal proceedings should be kept because there's a separation between church and state, but I don't think that was very clear in this case. Jeff underwent, underwent counseling in order to get rid, of, get rid of the rage that he felt towards his daughter's murderer, which you have every right to feel rage, Jeff Underwood. He was given a scarecrow-like figure representing James Wood and would direct his fear and frustration toward the mannequin, an unconventional method of therapy that he says very effective. I love that idea. Can we just do that for everybody? Just get each other like a little like voodoo doll and just like beat the shit out of it? Um, yes. We can crochet them. Oh my god. We need to do that. <laughs> We're just gonna, that's going to be our merch, guys. We're going to have some damn it dolls or some voodoo dolls or something. 
Um, the Arizona case was ruled that although sentenced to capital punishment must have been must have been sentenced by a jury rather than a judge, impacted with sentencing as well. Moving back and forth between appealing and reappealing to expedite his execution, the case was opened again for retrial and resentencing. Wood died in prison from a cardiac arrest after a long medical history, a relieving circumstance for the victim's family who were informed before the public, which I think is a good thing that they were informed. Jeff and Joyce Underwood spoke to the media soon after and laid feelings of relief, stating that their belief in providence and justice reassured them that Wood, while spread the death penalty, would not be spared divine retribution. Their, her parents are saints. I know. I just, this case, this dude, was just a fucking monster bastard. I do not like him. I hate him. Like, he... And the fact that he's allowed to get away with this for so long, like, all of these rapes, all of these murders, everything, for years, he is a fucking shit stain. And I hate him. (laughs) I can't stop saying shit stain, okay? Like, that's literally what he is. He's a dickwad. Cunt wagon. I don't know what else to call him. What other words can we use? Uh, what's another word we could use? Dickwad? I thought you already said that. No, I think I said dick stain, but that doesn't really make much sense. No, you said... Ball sack. (laughs) Do you remember watching that movie, um, Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo? Yes. And then the girl with Tourette's that, uh... (laughs) Not to make fun of anybody with Tourette's, because I know people with Tourette's, but that movie is really funny, and it, what, what's her name that does it? And she's just like, Balzac, all the time. Not to make fun of people with Tourette's. I, I understand that how, de- how debilitating that can be, because I know people with Tourette's that have tics. And I can't even imagine what people must go through, but that's all I can think about. I, can th- I think about that movie. Um, but that is the tragic murder and dismemberment of Jerry Lee Underwood. I hate James Wood. He is awful. But yeah, that's I'm bringing you, bringing you down. Yeah. We we were yeah. up and now we're down. I'm watching baseball and the Cubs are down. <laughs> that's not good. Well, that's... we're probably gonna record this one today, but we should record more because I'm getting tired. Yeah, and I want to watch this game. Well, hopefully we're recording more soon, but we'll have this uploaded pretty soon so you guys can not really enjoy it, but you guys can listen to it and feel the same rage that we feel. talking and not enjoy the murder so much. And I honestly found this one interesting because of the Mormon aspect of it and how, like, the Mormon faith really played a huge part in this trial since everybody involved with it was Mormon. And I honestly... We're not talking about baseball right now. (laughs) <laughs> I, I did though but we can't because we're talking about I'm, the mormon faith i'm technically watching two games at once now if, if we have any mormon listeners i am very curious about mormonism i don't know very much about it just i know a lot about the negative stuff i don't really know about like the positive things about mormonism i mean you guys do you I but so I, I really I do too I had I do too so if you guys are Mormon listeners please reach out to us because we want to know and if you guys know about this case 
or have any opinions about like how Mormonism was really integrated into this case. It really shouldn't be because there should be separation of church and state. Oh but there really wasn't. And the public defender, Monty Whittier, I really think that he kind of let his faith kind of get ahead of him a little bit because you're supposed to be unbiased whenever you're representing a client. I mean, you probably have your own personal biases, but you got to set those aside to represent your client. And you got to represent I your client. I could not do it because I have too many opinions and my face says it all. If, if my voice doesn't say it, I can't control mine either. So, I mean, I can, I mean, I can, but I just, I most, if I'm wearing a mask, I feel like I'm better at hiding my face, but I'm not really good at it. Eyebrows just say it all. (laughs) That's funny. They really do though, to be honest. See, I have judgy eyebrows. I don't, I just have a judgy face and people think that I'm mad and I'm like, I'm not mad. I'm just like here. You see, I have an angry face. I have an RBF because it's a defense mechanism for me. People used to be mean to me in school, and so when you look mean, people won't be mean to you. Maybe that's why people aren't mean to me to my face anymore. Um, I don't so know. That's why I have an RBF. Because yeah. people were mean to me, and I, I mean, that was the only way they wouldn't be mean. Yeah, well, let us know what you think about this case, but I can't say I blame Monty Whittier for how he handled this case, because he said that he was uncooperative, so basically that James was going to do what he wanted to do, and honestly, he does seem like a narcissist. Um, That's kind of what it sounds like to me, because he was trying to act all humble and holy, holier than thou, because of his Mormon faith, but he literally was excommunicated from the church, so, and he tried to, like, find God and I feel like all these criminals try to find God and if you find God great but if you're just doing it for clout and for just not the right reasons then you don't really that that's not okay you're not going to garner any sympathy for yourself for the things that you have done in your life and you will be judged as such I mean, you still have to pay for them, no matter if you found Jesus or not. Yeah, and the whole the whole concept of blood atonement is kind of strange to me, because it says that the Mormon church doesn't really endorse that, but it really did seem like some Mormons do that. I'm sure it's probably not the entire Mormon church, but I think there may be some maybe that do. Like, maybe there are different classifications of Mormons. Like, there are Christians, like you have the Catholics, the Baptists. The there Baptists. are, I know that there was, like, a different... Because I'm sorry, guys, but I've watched Sister Wives. If you're Mormon, I am sorry. I know this is not an accurate representation of Mormons, <laughs> but I have watched Sister Wives, and I know that there are like different. Thing I can do surgery because of Greek Anatomy. I know, and then we watched that documented Murder Amongst the Mormons, and that was so good. It was a good documentary, but I know it's representative of everybody. And then I watched. I watched some. I'm so fascinated by Mormonism. And I just want to know, I just have so many questions. So if you're a Mormon, please don't, please don't take offense to this. We're genuinely curious because we don't understand. And you're singing baseball. It's stuck in my head. I'm sorry. But okay, I guess that's going to be it for this episode. So follow us on the social medias. Do all the things on the internet that you do. Thank you you guys for tuning in. Sorry, this it's a weird episode. <laughs> it, it really is because we're trying to get used I to this hope new the formatting. Audio quality comes out okay. I hope so too. I'm gonna check it after this. But peace out, bros. Peace out, bros. Go Cubs. Uh-oh.